Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, we've been talking about quite a few th different things this week, mainly hyperparameters and uh, cross-validation modeling. We haven't actually talked too much about different types of data. This week, uh, started the new go back to looking at uh, PySpark. It's an Apache cluster um, technology for extracting data over big data. Big data is a, um, can be collected from multiple sources and, and stored in these uh, in uh, tables, much like the way we would access tables um, in a rela relational database. It's, it's interesting how popular relational databases have become, and I think that's largely due to the um, SQL, the ability, structured query language, the ability to extract data from um, these clusters. So I did notice that uh, they had uh, some uh, different large companies uh, that, that use uh, PySpark. One was uh, eBay. And I think the reason being is that uh, when you look at clustering technology, it's to extract data from a large amount of data. Now, why couldn't we just do that with SQL Server? Why couldn't we just create um, a, you know, a billion row table in SQL Server? And uh, the answer is there are limitations on memory. And uh, so it would have to uh, swap the way the database would work is it would load certain blocks of memory or blocks of data from the file system into memory and then uh, uh, apply the different algorithms for getting the data and retrieving it. So uh, the cursor doesn't load all of the data into memory. It loads blocks of memory or blocks of data into memory and then you fetch it from that cursor. So the cursor has a, it's kind of like an iterable in uh, C-sharp where you have a yield. Uh, Python has the same thing. And uh, so you define the, you define the specification or the iterable and it doesn't begin fetching data from the cursor until you do a for each. So you're actually iterating over the data and it's yielding uh, results back to you. So that's good for, queryables are very good for large data sets that will not fit into memory. And so you can uh, you can apply filters to the queryable you can retrieve them and process them one record at a time. 
and Python also has something similar to that with uh, uh, pandas. You can get chunks and uh, you can read it, process it. Uh, Keras has the same thing with batches. You process uh, um, inputs at a batch size, certain size at a time. So the inputs come in at a certain rate um, to the to the network, and then the network processes and trains against that data, and then it gets another batch and processes and trains against that data and gets another batch. So it's, it's it's incremental because there was there is a limitation to memory, and uh, and uh, I'm not sure if the human brain actually processes that way or if it just has uh, inf almost infinite capacity. But it definitely, when you're retrieving data, they say that data bubbles up, or meaning that you know there's some sort of association that's occurring, and those associations are triggering different uh, neurons to fire, and that's activating recall. But we don't have perfect recall, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's always a limitation and that's computers have better, are better at recall than, than we are. So, uh, it, uh, it seems to, that, uh, we, uh, Creatures of limitation, but at the same time, that also allows us to be creative. And uh, perhaps that's one of the blessings of of not having perfect recall, is that we can be creative in uh, the data that we have. We can reorganize it, rearrange it, make it more meaningful and useful. <clears throat> and that's uh, that's an aspect of aesthetics. Um, is that we find things that are useful, beautiful, functional, and uh, that we like those type of type of uh, things. So I'm watching The Mandalorian now, and uh, my daughter got me hooked on that, and uh, went through the whole episode series, and it really was pretty amazing. I mean, it's uh, uh, they, in one scene they have Luke Skywalker come back and he's going to become the Jedi that trains uh, uh, the foundling and uh, he's, he's uh, digitally created and it was really amazing because uh, the movements were pretty natural it didn't have kind of a jerky quirky you know shuddering effect it didn't have a distortion they had him looking uh, changing his profile from left to right a little bit and uh, it, it was outside of just kind of the pixelations it did seem pretty real uh, you know his facial movements his speech and uh, it was a pretty good deep fake 
I'm sure they use GAD networks and, uh, and uh, you know, someone was doing the, the actual talking, but uh, it was, uh, it looked like uh, a younger Luke Skywalker. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because the robots in the Mandalorian were fairly intelligent. The Hunter robot, especially, I think, uh, I forget what his number name was, G1 or something. But it was, uh, I mean, it was really believable robot when it was fighting. And uh, then they went to... They had the final fight scene where they have these robots and they're supposed to be kind of like the uh, replacement to the stormtrooper. They've replaced the stormtrooper robots and they were more like the Terminator type. They were kind of slow moving and uh, uh, but they were really strong, you know, so they made them kind of slow moving but, but strong. <clears throat> and uh, uh, it's just like they they had no defense against the lightsaber. The lightsaber was just way too powerful, and uh, and the robots were were slow, you know, so they can the, the characters can get away from it. And it kind of went back to kind of the dumb robot thing. And uh, I don't think in the future that we'll see dumb robots. I think we'll see more like the hunter robots where they're fast moving, they adapt really quick, they change strategies, and it's it will be nearly impossible to beat the robot. Just like in AlphaGo, they, you know, the, the robots, or the AI, um, eventually defeated all the human players. So, you know, for a little while, the human players were doing pretty good, but over time, just minute adjustments and strategy and, uh, you know, mistakes in the human part uh, added up. And, uh, and the, the algorithms that were running the AlphaGo were, you know, they're based on uh, expert algorithms. And, uh, and so that, that did allow the AlphaGo to... to beaten by OpenAI. So it, in the uh, last part of the hyperparameters, I used a, a library called uh, TPOT, T-P-O-T, and it's a genetic algorithm. And the genetic algorithm basically learns through crossover and mutation but it's, uh, it, it learns which classifier uh, will perform best and it creates a pipeline for you. And um, I was really, really surprised because the pipeline that it suggested for the credit default, uh, credit card default was uh, MLP classifier, multi-layer perceptron classifier. So I took that classifier and the recommended learning rates and ran it through, I turned verbose on so I could see how, what my loss function was uh, doing. And uh, I could see it uh, slowly reducing down the loss and uh, to the point that uh, it wasn't uh, getting any 
improvement for 10 epics and so uh, it stopped its training and then I was able to do some predictions and uh, then plot out the predictions and take a look at it and it was pretty similar to the Karis predictions um, so I was like well okay so I played around a little bit with the hidden layers. I added more nodes in the hidden layers. Uh, added a three-layer, three-layer hidden layer, and uh, and it seemed like that uh, the you know it might it took a, with more layers. It, it takes longer to train, but the loss didn't seem to be decreasing. And, you know, and the interpretation of loss is always challenging. You know how you how you are going to interpret what the what the neural net is actually paying attention to, and uh, you know what uh, what is it about the data that's creating the loss. Um, so that you know, loss is a uh, is a function of error. So when I, when I put it into the confusion matrix and plotted it out, it said that the, a lot of, there was a lot of uh, uh, false negatives. So in other words, it would, it would say, this person's going to default, but the person didn't default. And, and, uh, and I'm wondering if that's because there just wasn't enough data. I mean, you only had the bill amounts, you had the, the pay limit, or bill limits, the credit limits, and you had uh, uh, you had marriage, education, but we just didn't have enough of the behavioral things that cause a person to default. Like, uh, maybe what they should have included is some other pieces of data that could have been an indicator. Uh, well, they did have age, so I wouldn't say that, you know, an age was one of the major factors for deciding uh, whether or not uh, a person might default. But I'm also wondering if uh, they should have included things like the amount, number of years worked on the job, number of jobs or companies that they, the uh, consumer worked at. Because that might be an indication of whether or not this individual can keep a job and work and as a result of keeping that job have sustainable income. So sustainable income may be one of the factors that was missing. Another factor that could have uh, may, may improve the, the accuracy of the model was um, the maybe you could look at does this person pay their mortgage? Do they pay? Are they late on their mortgage? How many times were they late on their mortgage? How many times were they late on their rent payment? How many times were they late on their utilities? So if you could gather things that relate to uh, daily fixed uh, fixed expenditures then uh, it could uh, be an indicator of whether or not this person would be a risk for default. A lot of uh, false positives. Not so many false
negative. So when you uh, when you look at the false negatives and the ratio to false positives, their the precision wasn't wasn't great. And so uh, yeah, so that that was something that I kind of looked at and I it kind of scratched my head a little bit and thought about. And uh, you know that's kind of the beauty of data engineering is that if you're not getting the results or predictions are not doing what you think they should. Uh, you have to start thinking about how you're going to engineer the model so that it can have access to data to make uh, more reliable predictions. And uh, you know that's gain, that's a product of gaining more understanding about the system that you're trying to predict within. And I've actually been thinking more about how, you know, we read uh, a lot of computer books. There's a lot of great books out there. And uh, now that I'm starting to get a better understanding of the mathematics and the uh, programming language, learning a lot more about Python, what it can do, uh, also learning more about uh, the classifiers, that uh, maybe the next frontier will be to learn more about business. So the, the real problem could be that we don't understand the business process. So, you know, you could go get an MBA and you could study more statistics and get a better understanding of how companies run their business. You know, because if companies are not running their business on data, then they're running it on. Uh, they're running it on management, vision, goals, things that are not uh, necessarily concrete. They could be. They could be very abstract. And and uh, so, how do you get those those ideas and those goals transmitted down to the? To the employee and to the people who are actually doing the work. You know, management needs to make those goals and visions accessible so that, the, you know, that there's some understanding about um, what, uh, what is the goal of the company? How do they make money? Why are they in existence? And uh, corporations are kind of Sometimes employees, they don't want to know. But then if you don't know, how do you know how the company pays your check? And how do you know if the company can continue to make payments for your salary? Um, those are all really good questions, you know. And it's uh, maybe they're doing a lot of their data analysis and extraction on their own. Maybe they're... Uh, looking at some final numbers and and uh, those become key indicators as they go. Or maybe they're guessing. You know, there's a lot of uh, possibility that you know what is important to them is is uh, that they get their receivables. But what what about their labor? What about their material costs? What about the expenditures you know so it all comes down to uh, profit and 
also when I, I was analyzing profit, you know, the profit, uh, gross profit is uh, your, your revenue minus your cost of goods. So, you know, when you look at cost of goods, they, uh, those are re directly related to the production, production of, the, of the product. So if you're building a, a house, what are those expenses for building the house? That's, that would be your cost of goods. Then you have uh, other types of expenses. You have administrative expenses, you have operating expenses and uh, whatnot. And then you subtract that and that becomes, uh, that becomes your net, net profit. So, you know, you can compare that net profit to your financials and, uh, and that's what gets put on your income statement is your, your net profit. So, um, and, and net profit is, is real critical. You know, you can play a lot of games in the cash flow area, like trying to figure out, you know, what point you have cash coming in at what rate. And, uh, but if you're looking at the overall health of the company, the net profit is your most important indicator. Christmas. I watched a little bit of it for Christmas, and I watched uh, the good chunk of it uh, for New Year's, and uh, I thought it was pretty entertaining. And I started to think, you know, the way they're doing this is they're like telling a story, almost like uh, uh, chapters in a book. And it, it kind of makes me wonder if that's the way things are going to be running for entertainment. Is that you're, you know you build a you build a great uh, product in the movie theaters and then uh, bigger media companies buy the rights to those that storyline and then they continue telling that story over multiple seasons and that's uh, and then you you look at the you know, you look at the media company and how many uh, subscribers they have and how much content is being streamed and watched. Um, and then their return on their investment. <clears throat> then maybe it, what it, it does is it inspires uh, authors to write books that can be produced into movies and then hopefully movies into... Uh, main chain stream media companies that will run those uh, movies in a in series. Uh, so a lot of the movies end up to be uh, uh, season, have multiple seasons. Now, one one that I found really interesting that I really enjoy, and I just uh, bought the Bionic Man season three is the Bionic Man. And uh, why didn't it ever have a re-emergence re into mainline theater? Or, you know, it's just 
bizarre to me because it was so popular. It ran for six six seasons. Uh, Bionic Woman ran for three, and yet they just uh, they just don't seem to be able to get uh, get the formula, you know, back. Um, you know, it, it was it's interesting because you have. Steve Austin is like this incredible fighting machine. He's like a Jeff Speakman without the fancy moves. You know, he has some basic karate moves that he use, uses. But he just makes, you know, the running, the formula for running and the bionic uh, jumping and super straight is just incredible. And yet, it just doesn't seem like media wants to portray the nuclear man. I mean, you're, uh, you know, the Bionic Man really was a personification of nuclear power, the atomic age. And maybe the liberals just hate the idea of nuclear energy because it is so exponentially plentiful. If you took away our nuclear power, we'd be, you know, we would be lights out running the United States just on uh, coal, natural gas, and hydro, hydro being very small, and then the renewables, I mean the renewables hardly even show up on the map. Um, and so, you know, I, they just didn't want, I think they just didn't want to have that idea that the, new, the atomic age was the future, and it still is the future. But um, all things are dis displaced over time. You know, mainline media, uh, if they continue along their path, eventually they burn out. And I notice that with a lot of their seasons, they'll, they'll be running pretty good, and then it'll get darker and more evil, and then it just burns out. It's hard to watch, painful to watch. Like their, their plot lines are all about uh, social issues or, or uh, shocking, shocking content. And it just, that kind of approach just burns out. And, and why they continue to do that, I don't know. Because it, it does not uh, fuel for greater subscription uh, interest. And so if Disney does the same thing, it'll burn out. It'll burn out Star Wars. They'll drive a stake in it. You know, it's like the Dracula. It'll be over. So they need to be careful. Uh, you know, it's fascinating to me in media that G-rated films are some of the most high profit makers for the cost that it, it uh you know, it took them forever to do a remake of The Lion King. I haven't seen the new Lion King. My kids say that it's great. But to me, the, the cartoon version of The Lion King was the best. And I watched that with my kids. Lion King 1 and 2 forever. You know, another one that my kids really liked was uh, Lad Before Time. They really liked that. And there was no remakes of that. Uh, you know, we had uh, Ice Age, I, I think one through what, 
two or three. And uh, it was really good. I liked that from Pixar. But it wasn't as good as uh, Land Before Time. And maybe that's my own bias that you're hearing there, that uh, I think that it's, uh, was, is, was better. But, you know, was, to me, you know, having to watch that with my kids and then finding it interesting myself, uh, I think was says a lot. No, I don't have to be right. I like to be right, but I don't have to be right on this. Um, and so, you know, this podcast is doing pretty good. I'm working on uh, getting a riding bicycle using my podcast money for the indoor fold up, fold up. and uh about a third of the way there right now uh, was able to get a uh, electric weed eater with my last payout for my podcast so starting to get some nice things as a result of podcasting so thank you for listening and uh, you know one of the things that uh, that uh, they're using AI and, and machine learning in is uh, financials, and I'm really looking forward to talking to a couple of financial people that use deep learning um, in their financial forecasting, and uh, kind of talk to them about, you know, what is the value of knowing the future in financials? Why would you want to know the future? Now, what if the future is negative? How do you respond? Do you start telling? Uh, you start reassuring your your clientele that uh, um, that you know the future trends, even though they're negative, may be temporary. Just trying to you know reduce down the fear associated with the, uh, the financials. You know those are those are some of the questions that uh, are probably going to raised with financials and then the other side too is you know your competition wants to know how you're doing so um, what does the AI give you in terms of competitive app, uh, advantage over your competition does it help you identify opportunity quicker you know and I was talking to a friend he does trading on the foreign exchange and he doesn't even analyze for uh, trend. He's using anomaly. So anomaly is what is what's weird about the data. There's, he looks for things that are an arbitrage, and then based on the arbitrage, then he uh, invests in that, where he's capitalizing on the gap established by the artificial supply or demand. And uh, hasn't done really well at it, but he's he's doing some trading and uh, and he's using really you know, high speed trades to do that. Well, so there's you know AI can be applied in different areas, you know, so it can be you know used for outlier 
analysis to see if there's uh, strangeness in the data and if you can find strangeness in the data capitalizing on that strangeness. Um, well, I'm going to stop here and uh, hopefully you uh, will join me soon in another podcast with machine learning.